Welcome to the fifth episode of our Freedom from Anxiety series, The Power of the Tongue, in which we are going to look at why thought and emotion is energy and faith, and how that thought and energy combined with our words is what creates and drives creation or the reality that we experience. We're going to look at the power of the tongue and how our words are co-creative with God according to the scriptures, and we'll unpack that all in just a moment. I'm Sonia Corbett, the Bible Study Evangelista. Stay tuned. If you like having Bible study in your pocket and you have an iPhone or iPad, why not leave a review? Search Bible Study Evangelista in iTunes and tell everyone how you're loving and lifting all you've been given. Here's Sonia. Let's get social. Connect with me at Bible Study Evangelista on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and now you can also find me on the number one Catholic app for iPhone and Android, Laudate. Let's connect. And now, let's get some Bible study in your pocket. Welcome to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. I have been so thrilled about this particular episode. We're continuing with our look at the passage in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 about the exodus from Egypt to the promised land. And we began last week looking at rest in thoughts. And we're going to pick that up again this week. We're going to look at um, the science behind why our thought and emotion is energy or faith and how that's the basis of what we experience in our reality. It's co-creative. It drives creation. But before I do that, I want to jump in. So before I forget and thank all of my newest friends of the show, this is a couple of weeks worth. So Aisling H, Jessica K, Allison L, Venera F, Monica S, Robin N, Jeannie F, Fleur D, Andrew S, Carlene G, Alana P, Jose M, Virginia G, Genevieve F, Rebecca H, Susan B. Thank you all so much for loving and lifting me, for supporting my ministry. You are part of every evangelization effort that I make. I pray for you. I offer masses for you. I appreciate your participation. And I just, I ask um, that you share, that you share the emails that you get every week that you share the social media posts, anxiety is absolutely pervasive right now. And it's in part because of the religious and um, political persecution that is occurring right now. And everything is just such a mess. But what's so beautiful about that passage in Hebrews 3 and 4 is that that's exactly what they were experiencing. And that's the reason the writer of the book of Hebrews wrote that letter was to encourage the people of God in their desert, in this desert that they experienced. And the writer of Hebrews reminded the Christians at that time of the Exodus. And so that's why we're looking at that passage, because anxiety is meant to be transitory. It's not meant to be something that we live in forever. And God has given us a template. And that's exactly what my whole book, Just Rest, is about. It's the template that God gives us for growing out of anxiety and fear and learning to trust him in deprivation. And we looked at that last week specifically. And I don't know about you, but I actually felt like it was probably one of the best shows I had ever done. And I I heard that from several of you. And I, I was tickled that you felt the same after I, I finished it, I just thought this is really almost a 
it's a collection of everything that I teach. And that's what's so beautiful about that passage. So what I'd like to do first, I believe, is explain some of the science behind why our thoughts and our emotions, why we have to control them. Because if we don't control our thoughts and emotions, we live in anxiety and fear forever. And that's not the state that God expects from us and that he's provided for us, that he's promised for us and that he wants for us. So we really have to pay attention to the passage there in Hebrews, but also, you know, that we learned last week was a reference. There's references there back to the Psalms and back to Exodus and back to Numbers and even back to Deuteronomy, which is in the readings this week. If you've noticed, that is absolutely unreal to me that I would have planned this series and those are the readings for right now. That tells me, and it should tell you, that we are in the flow of what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. He wants us to get this lesson. He wants us to know and learn how to grow out of this anxiety and fear. And he has left us with the tools in this passage. It's, it's absolutely fascinating, I think. But it's literally true. We know something by the scientific method that those in the original desert exodus could not have known then. What we know is that contemporary physics shows us the absolute literal reality of all that God was trying to teach them through that journey. It is, it's just fascinating to me. And and if you are afraid that the science will get too heavy, I'm going to try my very best to make it very simple. Although I kind of butcher it in the process just because it's so complicated, but I'm going to simplify it as much as I can. Um, But if you're still worried, then just skip through this entire segment and, and go to the second segment. But what we know is that contemporary physics shows us that the atom the smallest unit of ordinary matter, it's invisible to the naked eye, but it's about 99.9% open space. So if you think about the smallest building block of biology, the cell, and the cell is broken down into all those parts, and then those parts are broken down into molecules, molecules are broken down to atoms, and atoms are 99.9% open space. The amount of space there is really unbelievable, partly because we can't see it. So we're getting really, really micro here. But at the micro level, there is lots of space in the atom. Proportionately, that space around the nucleus of an atom has been compared to a cathedral with a single grain of rice at the center. But the space in that atomic cathedral is not empty or dead. Rather, it's alive with this whirling activity spinning around the grain of rice type nucleus. So what we see and touch is really a condensation. It's a collapsing of a sort of what's called quantum states. Now, the word quantum means how much of something. And what I'd like for you to kind of think of when you think of quantum is that all of the possibilities exist at one time. All right. So the the things that we see and feel are a collapsing of quantum states into something that we perceive is solid. Okay, it's reality. At that subatomic level, though, the chair that you're sitting in is a whirling, buzzing vortex of processes, quantum processes. Forests, wind, sound, color, oxygen, thoughts, emotions, your house, your car, your physical body, 
the stars, your dog, your ability to see and hear and smell and taste and touch. Every single thing is interconnected by these quantum processes. So what we know by science is what the church and the apostles and Jesus and the Bible have all told us is true. Everything is connected, literally. Everything at its deepest level is this continuously vibrating process of energy that is intricately interconnected with everything else. So everything exists in a quantum state, meaning all the possibilities exist at one time with a particular energy And there's nothing that does not possess this energy. Now, this is all at the atomic level in the smaller than atoms. Even when you break an atom into parts, what we know by science is that everything is energy at its smallest part. But the most astounding thing is that all of this base energy contains all of the possibilities at once. And in one really wonderful interpretation of quantum mechanics it's consciousness that determines if or how the energy will collapse and become reality now all of that is just to say that what seems to be dead empty space in the desert also contains all of this energy along with every possibility of what it could become So we live in a world of non-physical space within this quantum energy field that underlies the processes that make up the entire universe. It's a whole, the whole world rests in this permeating reality, undulating and and condensing in a way that creates what we perceive to be things. So there's a hidden reality that's exerting a continuous complementary influence on the physical world, similar to the way your own consciousness affects your body. Your hand does not make your finger move. It's your brain. It's your consciousness. And that's the thought that St. Paul was talking about with his body of Christ imagery, uh, imagery, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians 12. Each of us is an organ or a member of the body of Christ who is our head. And all of the parts are separate processes, but they operate together as their own distinct process so that the whole is greater than the parts and it's directed by the Holy Spirit, the mind of Christ. And so consciousness then is the means by which all visible reality exists and interacts. And one of my favorite physicists, uh, Raymond Chow, He proposed clearly that God is the ultimate conscious observer of the universe. If you think about the Big Bang, who started that, right? And who who was observing time and space in the beginning? It was God. God created that. And so his consciousness, his thought is what caused that creation, his observing it. And that's also what holds it in being. So Uh, Raymond Chow and other physicists hold that our free will is also consciousness and it affects processes in time and space. We know that's true. His theological conclusion is that God is the omnipresent, omniscient and omnipotent universal observer. And it is an absolutely mind exploding thought. This is the basis for why I maintain, this is a scientific basis for why I maintain that it is so important to control your thoughts and emotions in times of deprivation. They're meant to help us grow and help us learn and help us draw from all of the possibilities in the desert that exist at one time. More on that when we get back.
You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spirits That Taste Like Cake. Sonia created the Love the Word Bible Study Method just for you, based on Mary's personal practice and formulated for your personality and temperament. Get your Love the Word meditations every Monday morning by signing up at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. shows that science reflects and reinforces what our faith and the scriptures have told us all along. We are co-creators with God of our own reality. And so our thoughts and emotions are energy. They are focused attention or consciousness. And that's what causes energy or possibility to collapse into an actual thing. So what is your focused attention going to draw forth in your desert? Is it going to be fear and deprivation or is it going to be faith and provision? And that's why I've been saying, don't think about the negative. Think about the positive because thinking and emoting about the negative brings more negative to you. So we know from the science that there's an interconnectedness to the whole universe that cannot be isolated into smallest parts. Instead, it's a complicated organic network of energy that fuels relationships between individual processes, and it always includes the observer in an essential way. So we can't ever talk about the universe without actually speaking about ourselves. And every choice and action immediately and concretely impacts the whole. So we see matter as solid, and we experience it as solid, but underneath it's whizzing around at these colossal velocities in, the, in a constant state of dynamic movement. And it's only the forces between the atoms that gives us the impression that anything is actually solid. Now, I know this is mind-blowing. It is for the scientists who study it. It's a, it was especially mind-blowing for the people that first discovered it. But we know... They, the scientists know that this is true and they use it in all kinds of current technology without very often actually asking why and what does this mean, right? What I love about Raymond Chow is that he asks that question, what's the meaning of this? What does this mean? Who is the original observer? Who observes everything while we're not observing it, right? And he says, and we agree, as people of faith, that that's God. It is God, the Bible says, that holds all things in being. We talked about that last week. But in a nutshell, anything and everything that exists in the whole cosmos, when it's broken down and analyzed in its purest, most basic form, using scientific tools and instruments and all that, it's all a combination of quantum states. And the energies of these states, when observed, or observed, sorry, determine our own perception of reality. And so our perception of reality, and that alone is what determines what we experience as individuals in our own physical world. So think, this is the point, think about your thoughts and emotions as focused spiritual energy that creates reality, either of rest or unrest, we are co-creators with God, and everything visible comes from the invisible in a constant interaction between the two. So God's ways are desert ways because the desert emptiness actually contains everything we need 
all at once. And we're meant to learn how to consciously co-create with God everything that we need in the desert. Rather than allowing our, our often unconscious negative energy to continue creating a defeating reality where we lack what we need and we're flailing around in fear and unrest. So like the Israelites, we enter the desert to learn how to stop focusing mental and emotional energy on the emptiness. Instead, we focus our faith on the possibilities present in that spiritual light and love that animates and connects the whole universe. That faith focus is consciousness. And consciousness manifests all reality. So rest in thoughts and emotions is absolutely vital. Because if we're not at rest interiorly, we're manifesting unrest exteriorly. So the children of Israel, that's exactly what they were meant to learn. We noticed last week that the water for them at Mara was bitter because they were bitter. They received what they received from the manna. And its taste according to their thoughts about it. There's another beautiful story in Job um, that we'll look at when we get to emotions that shows that as well. But the Bible is actually full of this idea when you start paying attention. Matthew 21, 22. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Romans 12, 2. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God. 2 Corinthians 10.5, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil man out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. We're going to look at that in detail here in a moment. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the realization of what is hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So thought is a type of energy. And that first law of thermodynamics says that energy cannot be destroyed. It can only change form. So energy can be altered to a different kind of energy, but it can't be destroyed. It always exists somewhere in some form. So your thoughts are energy that's never lost and can never be destroyed. They can, though, be transformed. And because thoughts are creative, they're powerful. Negative thoughts and fears have to be challenged and transformed so they can't create destruction anymore. And the primary way we do that is through God's word. That is one of the main ways. That's why I gave you that tool. And I'll I'll, um, bullet point these to make the steps really simple so that you can just go straight to it. But that's the reason I gave you the, um, the tool in the book of James, that if we need wisdom, if we need perspective, if we're flailing around in negativity and fear. We need God's perspective on the situation. And James says, if we need wisdom, we should ask because the Holy Spirit will always give it to us. He doesn't hold it back. He wants us to see things the way he sees them, because once we do, we, we stop fighting against it. And that's the whole point of the desert. The people of Israel did nothing but fight at every single turn all that God was trying to teach them. And he was trying to lead them out of this woundedness of their slavery from Egypt into this promised land of inner Sabbath. Well, for them, it was outer and inner. And for me too, as I um, tell the story in Just Rest, it wasn't just an inner Sabbath. 
but the inner Sabbath actually reflected and and brought forth, I could even say, that literal promised land of it was flowing with milk and honey in the Old Testament. And for me, I have to say that I'm standing in my promised land right now, and it is abundant. And and more than that, though, what's so wonderful about it is if I hadn't learned from God in that desert season how to rest in deprivation, I wouldn't I wouldn't make full use of my promised land and I wouldn't be able to rest there. I would be afraid that it wasn't mine or that someone could take it away from me or that I was going to miss an opportunity or I would be burned out because of overactivity and a collection and a multiplication of stuff to do, you know, and and that's part of what we're supposed to be learning there in that desert. But we're talking here about rest in our thoughts. And so again, I'm going to say thought and energy, I'm sorry, thought and emotion is energy, and they are the basis of our faith. And this faith energy is what creates and drives creation. It says so right there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, this quantum idea, a quantum coin, the state of a quantum coin is simultaneously heads and tails. I'm going to try to simplify this whole quantum idea so that you can get an idea of what I'm talking about here. A quantum coin exists in both states at once, both heads and tails. And the outcome of the flip is it's not determined until the face of the coin is actually looked at, at which point then the system takes on a definite value of either the heads or the tails. So that question, my physics professor back in 10th grade, I, I did a, um, a summer, it was called Summer Ventures, but a summer program in which I had um, computer science and chemistry and physics. And the very first day in that physics class, the professor said, If a tree falls in the woods and you don't hear it, did it really fall? Does it make a sound? And I just, I have thought about that for so long. I just thought, oh my gosh, this is totally where I need to be, right? I was so intrigued by that idea. But that's the whole point of the quantum coin. Is it heads or tails? What is the answer? Well, it's not either. It's both things until it's looked at. And until it's looked at, observed, until it's observed, it's not one or the other. It's the observation. It's the concentration of the focus that makes it one or the other. I know that is so mind-blowing, but it's proven. It is proven in studies on light and photons. And I don't have a whole lot more time to get into that, and it would probably make your head swim anyway. But they know that light exists as both a particle and a wave at the same time, and it's not until the scientist looks at it to measure it that it collapses into one. So what that means for us is that the desert has everything you could possibly ever need It looks empty, it looks dark, it looks deserted, it looks barren, but all of the possibilities exist right there. It only takes your focused attention, your faith, all of your thought, all of your emotion, all of that faith to bring a single reality into existence. I know, it's mind-blowing. More on that when we get back.
You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spirits That Taste Like Cake. Did you know you can get Bible Study Evangelista radio notes and podcasts delivered to your inbox every Monday morning? Redeem your Mondays. Join thousands of your fellow listeners by subscribing at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. So at this point, I can almost hear you saying, that sounds really new agey. And all I can say to that is this idea, this new age idea that God is a force or the universe or energy, whatever, we know by faith and by revelation in the scriptures from God himself that all of that energy is a person, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. A person with particular preferences, right? So it's not a new age idea just because it's true scientifically. What makes our understanding of God accurate is his personhood, his individual attention to each of us. That's why we exist, because he is constantly observing us with this love. He is light. The Gospel of John writer, well, I'm sorry, the um, Apostle John says in his letters, God is light, God is love. So the force or the light or the energy is love. And this love is a person. That's the difference. It's not impersonal. It's not, it didn't just begin creation and just let it go like a wound up clock to wind down at the end of time. He is involved. He is observing. His love is what holds everything in being. We live and move and have our being, the book of Acts says, in God. God is the the conscious observer that holds all things in being. We are called to co-create with him in a way that proves his will, I read to you from the scriptures a moment ago. What does that mean? It means that we get his perspective and we cooperate with what he's trying to teach. That's the whole point. We, Our wills come in line with his will. Our faith and our observance is in line with his, and nothing is impossible with God at that point. That's why the scriptures say that. Every possibility exists, dear one, in the desert. There is never a time that you don't have what you need. It's the focus on the lack and the deprivation that causes more of it to manifest. If we're focusing on God's perspective, if we're seeking his perspective and we're allowing him to transform our perspective and our emotions and heal those memories, if we're allowing that to occur, and we looked at the biological mechanisms of how that occurs in the two shows back, if we're doing all that, we're conforming our will to his will and we're renewing our minds. And as we do that, we are we begin to get into the mind of Christ, the mind of the Holy Spirit. We are, we have, have aligned our wills with his and nothing is impossible. I mean, it is truly the most amazing truth 
when you look at what science is showing us, both in the psychology and the biology of thought and emotion and quantum physics, when you combine all of that, it is the most stupendous reality that we are living in. And so we can look at this this passage from Egypt to the promised land with new eyes, knowing that it is literally true. It's not just some spiritual story. It is actually true. (laughs) When we depend on God in every deprivation in the desert, God begins to reveal himself. He draws us into relationship with him in each of those circumstances. And when we wait on him to provide, and he does so in a way that is individual and personal and, and full of this love and care, and we see it, and we understand it, and we sense it, and we feel his love, when that begins to happen, everything within us begins to heal and change and move forward in this creative kind of way. We become circles of creativity and peace in the spiritual realm. And that is what God calls us to. That's what the promised land is. It's this inner Sabbath that ripples out through all of these quantum states in all of creation. It impacts everyone and everything, not just those closest to us, but it ripples out into everything. When you are doing this work, you are doing the most important work there is on earth for you. For those of you who are worried about not having a purpose, this is your purpose. Everything else is secondary. You're called to God first and this healing process that then extends to your vocation, whether it's to the religious life or to marriage It extends to your immediate family. It extends from them to the marketplace and from you to the marketplace. It extends, isn't it the, I forget what it is, like 10 people removed um, through 10 people and 10 relationships. You can know everyone on earth. That's how interconnected everything is. We think it's just about us, but it's not. When you're healed, the whole universe experiences a portion of that healing And so it's very, very important that we allow God to use this desert to use. And in fact, our whole lives really are a desert valley of tears. We pray that prayer all the time. So life itself is meant to teach us this lesson so that when we get to the promised land of heaven, if we have followed God and our faith has grown and we have fallen in love with him and we understand that all of that was meant to help us live in plenitude in that heavenly promised land, that is the goal. And it begins here. And we can experience a promised land of inner Sabbath that will feed every secondary vocation, every ministry, every spiritual gift that you attempt to use in your parish or out in in the, the world. All of that is affected by this healing. It must happen. It must. This is the goal of the desert is that healing in thought, emotion, body, and soul. So I'd like to look at the power of the tongue because most of us don't realize the power in the words, both of the scriptures, but also in our own words. In James chapter three, James gives us this neat little metaphor. Chapter three, verse two of James, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, He is a perfect man, perfect meaning mature, not flawless, but mature, able also to bridle the whole body 
Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire enkindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets it all on fire, the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison." With it we bless our Father and God, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? So no spring yields both salt water and fresh. So what he's saying there is that the tongue directs your whole life, just as a bridle directs a horse or a rudder directs a ship. Our tongue directs your thoughts. Actually, it's a reflection, a reflection of your thoughts and emotions. And where the tongue goes, that's where you go. And that's where everywhere around you goes. Your words have power. They are creative. Now, I'm going to prove this to you. Look in Proverbs 18, 21. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, we think of this usually as our words are, they build up or they tear down. And that's true. So habits of gossip then, as James was saying, they can destroy like a fire that, like a forest fire that destroys everything. But I want you to think about this in a little different way. That's true, but think of it in a different way as well. That what you say helps create what you've said. That is exactly what happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness. They experienced the water at Marah as being bitter. And what did they do? They started murmuring and complaining. That happened over and over and over with Mara, with the water from the rock, with the manna, with Moses and, and Aaron as their leaders, with the quail, with the golden calf. Every single time they accused God of leading them out to the wilderness to kill them. They complained about their provisions. They complained about Moses and Aaron. They complained about where they were. They complained about everything. And it was an accusatory claim. Um, an accusatory complaining. It wasn't just, oh, gee, this is not what I expected. It was an accusation. And that is part of this testing of God that they fell into over and over. They demanded what they wanted when they wanted it, instead of asking God simply for his provision and waiting on him to provide it. And so, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs says, and that's because the more they complained, the more situations they got into that brought this negativity toward them. And it wasn't so much that it necessarily was negative. It was their perception. They perceived it that way, and so they spoke it that way. And so what they got was more of that negativity and more of that deprivation. So I'm saying then to you that your tongue then directs your life. It has the power of death and life. And so what you say is creative. I'll prove it in a moment.
You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible study spares that taste like cake. If you love having Bible study in your pocket, you can become a friend of the show. Click on the yellow friend of the show button on BibleStudyEvangelista.com and become a supporter of any amount and any frequency. Now, here's Sonia. said let there be light and there was light now that is where God created space and time in order for us to have a place and an an amount of time to receive sensory information and when we receive sensory information that's where our thoughts are created and that's where emotion attaches to the thoughts and that's where we begin to speak we speak what we think and emote And when that happens, we too have become creative. Genesis 1, God used his word to create. In the gospel of John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word created. He was creating something again, only this time it was spiritual. The word of God, Jesus Christ, came to earth And that word was the final word of God. He's creating something spiritual, whereas in the beginning, in Genesis, he created the whole cosmos, what we see. Now he's creating something spiritual. It's his word, my point, is creative. Again, we see in Hebrews chapter 1, same idea. God, who at various times and various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken, there's the word, to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds or the cosmos or the ages, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholds all things by the word of his power. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I'm in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. He upholds all things by the word of his power. His power has word. And in a similar way, now not the same way, we can't just utter things and poof, they become reality instantaneously the way they did for God. But we are co-creators and the things that we say help create our own reality because it's focused attention. Again, it's it comes from our thoughts and our emotions and that focused attention comes out in our words and our words then help create reality as you can see through these passages. But Jesus himself says it. He says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. That's scary. But look what he says in verse 37. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. So notice that your words determine your eternity. 
either justification or condemnation. And that is why the people's words in the desert over their water and their food and their leaders and their variety and their distractions and all of that, that's why their words determined that they would never go into the promised land of rest. Do you see how all that goes together now? This is why it is so important that we're careful with what we're thinking and what we're emoting. Because what we think and emote, that's exactly what Jesus says, out of the heart is what comes out of the mouth. The heart is the place of emotion. The heart is the place where all of that forms and comes out in words. And you can see then how those words are co-creative. Life and death is in the tongue, Proverbs said. That's why it is so important to watch your words They have power. They are creative. And if we continue in this negativity and we continue to speak negativity out into our environment, then we're doing nothing but creating more of it. If we learn the lessons, however, in the moment, hold the tongue, determine to trust God in the deprivation, wait on him for as long as it takes to receive his provision, ask him for his wisdom and his perspective on the situation. If we do all of that, the things we speak are going to be hopeful. They're going to be full of trust. They're going to help us step out in faith and create what the thing that we need, which is the provision in the deprivation. God, he exists in that desert that seems empty, that seems dark, that's full of suffering. He, he allows those sufferings in order to trigger the panic that occurs when we're deprived of something that we need. He does that not to be mean and not to jerk us around, but to draw us into his presence, to draw us into a dialogue. Lord, I need your perspective here. I need to know what to do. I need to know how to handle this situation. This impacts everyone, including me. I'm in fear. I'm in anxiety. What do I do? Now, here's one of the rules that I tell people when they ask me, well, what do I do in this situation? I always say, ask God, ask him what to do and don't do anything till you get a clear word. Now, this is going to, this is going to require that you be in the scriptures every single day. This is God's word. His word to you on a daily basis. This is why I gave you love the word. Listen, observe, verbalize, and entrust. Read the readings every single day because they speak to your circumstances. They speak to your relationships. When you're in a deprivation, especially when you're in lots of deprivations at one time, like this desert experience in the Exodus, when you're in this kind of situation, It is so important to get God's perspective and God will give you his perspective through the scriptures. He's not going to just poof it down into you always. Sometimes he does, but usually it's when we're thinking about him and we're searching for his guidance and that happens through the scriptures. That means that we seek him in his word every single day, and we're not looking out of duty. We're not checking it off the list. We're entering a relationship with him. We know that meditation, there's a huge body of evidence, scientific evidence that shows us that that this kind of meditation is proven to increase your IQ, relieve stress, and promote higher learning levels. This stuff is not just a nice recommendation from the Bible. This is how you must live. You must 
meditation in the scriptures and prayer. Meditation is both reading the scriptures and also prayer. That's why I love the word work so well, because you're listening to the word of God. You're observing your relationships and circumstances. You're verbalizing back to God what you think he says through that, and you entrust it all back to him. That is a meditation. You're increasing your IQ. You're relieving your stress. You're promoting higher learning lessons, uh, levels, I'm sorry. You're getting God's perspective, and you're getting directions on what to do next. So if you don't know what to do, then don't do anything. Do the last thing he said and wait on further directions. You're going to get that further direction from the scriptures. So be in the readings every single day. You can get them from, for free all over the place. Laudate, Universalist.com, USCCB. There are lots and lots of places to get it. And I have harped on this over and over because I know that God will speak to you about your deprivations. He wants us to have his perspective, and most of the time we don't have it because we're panicking and we're not listening. We get in that fear, we get in that anxiety, we feel this pressure to do something, anything. But most of the time when we do that, we're acting out of our flesh. Our ways are not his ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. We have to get his perspective in order to think his thoughts and have his ways. And his ways, we learned last week, are desert ways. We learn to think like God by asking him what he's thinking. And he communicates to us through his word every single day. It is, it is so imperative to separating the, the thought and emotion, to transforming the emotion, to getting his perspective. All of that is so vital to learning how to navigate the desert so that we come out in the promised land. We don't want this Matthew 12, 33 to lead us by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. We don't want our words to lead us into that futility and purposelessness that the people of God experienced in the desert because their words can con- con- continually reflected this fear and anxiety that they can that they held to it was like they would not let it go and some of us like our bitterness some of us like our unforgiveness some of us like our drama and our misery but I'm telling you you're not meant to live that way God has given us all of this direction in the scriptures. And so when we're in the word every single day, we're seeking him for him. Not, it's not a duty. We're just, we're just trying to get his perspective and we want to connect to him personally because he is a personal God. Your body responds to mental input like this as though it were physically real. And we'll look at that next week when we start talking about rest and emotions. That's why meditation is important. That's why visualization is important, which we'll look at later. But it's especially important when we're talking about thoughts. This is why it's important to get God's perspective so that what we're speaking is growth and life and beauty. Think about what is good and pure and beautiful, Paul said. Think about these things. Emote about those things. Stop focusing on the deprivation. Stop focusing on what it feels like and step out in faith knowing that all the possibilities exist at one time wherever you are. That is the truth of it. Don't listen to the lie that you're not going to have what you need. You already have everything you need in that desert, in that deprivation. I'm Sonia Corbett, the Bible Study Evangelista.
Thank you for listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Find out more at BibleStudyEvangelista.com.